Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 113, and today I'm joined by Bill Irvine. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting Bill and his lovely wife, Jamie, while uh, we were traveling around the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador over Christmas, and one of the things that uh, straight away interests me about Bill, and I was intrigued, was his outrageous look on life and how positive he was at any situation. And I remember we got on this boat and it was supposed to be a two-hour boat ride. It was really choppy and ended up going for about two and a half hours. Everybody was seasick. And at the end of the boat ride, he got off and he goes, geez, that was a, a really fun experience. And everybody else was like, that was horrible, everything. But he's like, well, uh, at least we enjoyed it. You'll remember it. And it was just, I was like, wow, that's a really good way of looking at a situation that everybody else is looking at a negative. Anyway, after that, figured out that uh, Bill's a philosopher. He's a stoic. He's released six books. Um, he's gone to Wright State University. He's delivered keynotes, workshops, speeches all over the world. Um, and I can't wait to share today's episode with you. Bill is just full of knowledge, full of enthusiasm on life. And I can guarantee that you'll be to take away so many key points from today's chat. So sit back, enjoy. This is Bill Irvine. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have Bill Irvine here. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Dale? I'm always good now. It is extremely early for you, mate. It's uh, 4.15 a.m. You're a morning person, though, aren't you, mate? I'm an extreme morning person. Now, I thought I got up early at 4 a.m., but uh, we are just talking before. Do you want to just go back over uh, the, the times that you've been getting up, Bill? Um, the older I get, the earlier I wake up, and I don't set alarms. It's just biology uh, talking, So, uh, and I also have str- trouble staying up past 8 at night. So I go to bed when my body gets tired. I wake up when my body says, wake up, uh, and uh, what one way it'll do that is it'll start me thinking, and then once I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, some of these ideas I should be uh, writing down, because I'm, a, among other things, I'm an author. Um, so I do, and then later in the day, if my body says time for a nap, um, I take a nap. So I just try to stay in tune with uh, what my body tells me it wants, and and for me that just means I'm an extreme early riser, um, and it, it's not something I'm proud of. It's just a biological fact about me. Well, we're all different, and if that works for you, mate, that uh, I'd highly recommend it. And there's so much evidence out there that um, we all overeat, we oversleep, and we think we need more, but um, just allowing our body to tell us when we need to eat, when we need to sleep, I think there's a lot to be said. Now, we're going to talk about uh, your books, uh, all the research you've done, the Stoic, you're a lecturer, um, everything like that. But we had the pleasure of crossing paths and spending a week in Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands together, mate. What was your overall thoughts on Galapagos Islands? Uh, the Galapagos Islands are absolutely astonishing, just one of the most uh, incredible spots on the world that uh, it uh, exists is, uh, is, a, is a bit of a miracle. And, you know, it has a, a history as well, because uh, it's where um, Darwin got his insights uh, that, that led to, to the theory of, 
of evolution. Things are a bit more complicated than that, but that's the short story. And you can you can see it. It's it's evolution close up as you go from island to island. And you notice things things have changed. And it's and it's an incredible place. I just remember the first thing getting off the plane, and within twenty five minutes, you've gone through three completely different climates, and um, it's just crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, each each island has uh, like if it's a, if it's got any altitude at all has three different uh, climate zones, and 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 then that's the other thing. On one side of the island, it'll be different uh, vegetation and different animal life than on the other side of the island. Yeah, and and the animals are incredible, and and not only that, the the people that we met, and I'm a big believer in travel, not only for experiences like getting to know the climate, the animals, and everything about Galapagos Islands, but also uh, the friendships you make, and obviously the connections, and um, that's how this has come about today. So you do quite a lot of travelling now with your wife, Jamie, don't you, Bill? Uh, this is uh, another late stage uh, thing. So these are uh, signs of, 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 for me, of getting old for the longest time. I, I wouldn't have dreamed of going uh, to a, a, a distant, faraway place. Uh, and then we start. It was basically kind of a fear of, of being someplace where I didn't know the language. So we started taking baby steps um, Went to the Hawaiian Islands, which is still in the United States. They still uh, speak English. You know, you did a tour on a cruise ship where somebody's going to be holding your hands. And each each baby step, I got a little bit braver. And then the other uh, it, the other discovery was. Um, you know, a lot of people spend their money on things, so so they they buy a, a really big, expensive houses, really big, expensive cars, and that's okay with me if they want to do that. But in my own case, uh, the interesting thing about travel is um, uh, you're spending money, but uh, but but you don't have physical objects. As a result, you know, physical objects to to take care of and and you know and, and, and insure and, and everything else, you don't have those, but you have these incredible memories. Um, and you know, my wife and I will have conversations, you know, routinely that start remember when, and we'll both flash back to some past uh, you know travel experience and and the things that happened there and the people. That we met there, and it, and the other thing is, you know, we live in this incredible world, and living in the United States, you can uh, you can sit around and feel sorry for yourself, cause you know you're you're making you're you're ma- you're you're in the bottom twenty percent of income level in the United States, let's say, and you sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Well, you are one of the lucky people on the planet. <laughs> In terms of income, and uh, yes, things could be better, but you know it's important to keep in mind how much worse things could be. And if if you want to see how much worse, um, travel to a third world uh, country and and see, you know the 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 locals have a, a fraction. You know there, there's what two billion people who live on two two dollars a day. Um, so uh, so that the point is, it's not that. Um, Things couldn't be better uh, for somebody who's who's relatively poor in the United States. Uh, the important thing is to realize that things could be spectacularly worse. And also, if they look back in their ancestry, they'll find that their ancestors had a fraction of the physical of of the financial uh, affluence that they did, and yet managed to stay happy. 
so it's a bit of a puzzle, and it's a puzzle I've been uh, doing research on and thinking about. But uh, but it's a very interesting puzzle because our our financial well-being, our material well-being. Uh, should be loosely connected to our state of, of happiness, and yet for a lot of people it isn't. And and that's such a great point, and, and I think going on holidays once or twice a year to these places, it really grounds you, like you are just saying, and it, and it makes you really check that things we complain about or things we complain when we've got these really good jobs in countries like Australia and the USA – but when we go over there, people don't have anything. And this is a question I, was, I wanted to bring back to you. They are so much happier than probably 90% of the population in the countries that we live in, Bill. So is there, why do you think that is? They, they don't have all the material things. They don't have all the amazing resources and uh, just at the, at the dip of a finger point, they, they, they don't have what we have, but they're so much happier. Why do you think that is? Um, because happiness, uh, like I, I said, is loosely connected to your uh, your your physical state, your your material state. Uh, here's the paradox of happiness: um, most people are dissatisfied about some aspect of their life. Uh, they they somebody else has a bigger car, somebody else has a, a bigger house. Um, and uh, they obsess over that and as a result are unhappy and uh, they, they harbor the belief that if only they had the thing that they want, then they would be happy. That there's that gap between uh, what they have and what they want and that's a uh, reason to be unhappy and so they're unhappy. The paradox is if you get the thing you want – then the issue is, does that make you happy? And the answer is, sure, for a while, you know, for, for a few days, maybe even if you're really lucky for a few weeks. And then what happens is your, your brain, which is very active, goes on to find something else that's even better than what you've got. And then, um, once again, you just lapse back into the same um, state of um, unhappiness. And there are people who go through their lives, you know, Pursuing happiness by trying to change, by trying to attain the thing that they desire. Uh, and, and, and that's tragic because there's another way to do it that's much easier. And that is um, uh, desire the things you already have. And, uh, and you know what? Uh, one way, one way to, to increase your desire is to use this trick of uh, take the things in your life and imagine that those things suddenly disappeared. Uh, and you come if you do that, you come to appreciate the things that you have much more. Um, this includes your your physical abilities. You know, not only your material state, but your physical abilities. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of things about you that you take for granted if you're a normal human being. Uh, for instance. Um, uh, your ability to um, to stand up and walk, because uh, guess what? Uh, nature can snatch away your ability to balance, and then suddenly when you stand up, you start experiencing vertigo, and you can no longer do the things. And of course, there are people who can't walk, even if they can stand up uh, and do that. There are people who, uh, who lose the ability to eat uh, regular food, and you go through it. And then once you start looking at the ways in which your situation could be worse. If only for a time you have this feeling of how lucky a person you are, 
that you have what you do. So uh, that's one of the key things, you know, that that philosophers or certain subgroup of philosophers have struck on, and that is that the key to happiness is um, is want what you already have. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. And it's taken me a while to figure that out, Bill. I was always, I'll be happy when I buy a house. I'll be happy when I get a new car. I'll be happy when this. And yeah, as you just said, it does give you that instant dopamine hit and you feel good for that little bit. But then straight away, you're already chasing the next thing. So um, I totally agree with what you said there. But if people are listening along, um, what's, what is it journaling? Is it practicing gratitude? Is it writing a list? What's the best way or is it just an individual way of working for people to um, adapt what you've just said and uh, really think about be grateful for everything they've got. Is there a certain way that you recommend to do that? Okay. Uh, I came to the those claims I just made in a kind of a roundabout way. So in the early 2000s, um, uh, well, I'm a college professor, and so they – they um, they want us to write books uh, and and I, and I want to write books so I, I did and I wrote one on uh, on human desire um, and just that that whole puzzle I was just telling you about and people's uh, the role desire plays in their life and then um, I uh, thought one of the things I need to do in talking about desire and this way of breaking yourself out of the this this chain where you just uh, get what you desire only to form a new desire, I should explore some of the advice that's been given on that. And um, the advice in question, one of one of the uh, uh, bits of advice I, I came up with came from the, the ancient Stoic philosophers. So, uh, these were Greek and then subsequently Roman philosophers starting in like 300 BC and then uh, running through 100 AD and then uh, in other forms uh, subsequently. Um, and I discovered that they had a lot of techniques that they put into practice. Uh, I experimented with these techniques, and, and before I knew it, I was a practicing Stoic. I never, never imagined that that would, that would happen. Uh, and so the Stoics, besides being philosophers, were some of the preeminent uh, psychologists of their day. Back then, it was commonplace for a philosopher to wear several different hats, to do science and to do ethics and to do psychology. But the technique I just described, uh, there's a fancy name for it. Uh, it's called a negative visualization. So <clears throat> the Stoics said, as you go about your daily life, you should make a point uh, uh, periodically, you know, just every now and then, to, to, to look around at you, at what you've uh, got, and uh, just for a moment, um, just allow yourself to visualize uh, that you didn't have it. Uh, and, and you look around you and, you know, you can see the most uh, amazing things. I'm walking outside and there's, and there's a blue sky. You know what? The sky didn't have to be blue. Yeah, correct. But it is. It is. And isn't that just absolutely wonderful? And then you can look at your ability. Okay, you're outside walking. Isn't that wonderful? Because... There are people who can't walk, and you know if if uh, you're if you live long enough, there's a good chance that you won't. That someday you'll look back at this very moment as the good old days. What were the good old days when you had the freedom to get up and go outside and take a walk? Because that'll no longer be part of it. Now, 
the thing to realize, and then as soon as I say that, people normally say, well, you mean we should go around just constantly fixating on all the bad things that could happen <laughs> to us? Uh, that would clearly be uh, a recipe for a life of misery. So, this, the Stoics didn't say that. What they said is, you should allow yourself to have flickering thoughts about how things could be worse in your existence. Flickering thoughts. So you have the flickering thought, and then you let it go, and you get back uh, into whatever you're doing. Um, and, you know, it, it really is worth trying because, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, had a conversation like this with multiple uh, people. I've uh, gotten yeah, a lot of email from uh, people who have read my books, and, and their comment is always, um, it's breathtaking that something so simple could have such a big impact um, on, uh, on, on their life. And it's, it's true, and I know that in, in my life. And, and, you know, I mean, there are other things. There's, there are people in your life, uh, you, uh, your friends, or as you in Australia would put it, your mates, <laughs> who, who, uh, who, who make a, a, just a huge difference in, in, your, in your life. And, and it's easy to take uh, their presence in your life utterly for granted. Uh, but you know what? Things happen. Um, there are the cases where people die prematurely. There are cases where friendships end. There are cases where people move far, far away, and you, you go through that list. And then um, to, to keep that in mind, with the friendships you, you value uh, the most of, uh, you know, just uh, being thankful. When you see that person, just say, isn't this a great day? That person is still part of my life. And then um, go about your business because it, it will color it will color the things you do. It gives you a background for uh, for analyzing the experiences you're you're having and just a really fully appreciating uh, them, sucking the marrow right out of the bone of the relationship. Um, you know, it's not simply, hey, uh, we're chatting together, but we're chatting together. And isn't that just absolutely grand? Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as you said, it's sometimes the smallest little practices or the, the littlest things that you put into repetition and you do over and over, like you were just saying, just appreciating people or thinking how good it is and how lucky am I I've got in my life. So is that some sort of relation to gratitude? So I know it's imagining, visualizing that it's not there, but and practicing gratitude is obviously thinking how lucky am I to have certain things. Do they sort of go hand in hand, Bill? Yeah, and so this whole uh, idea of doing something as a habit or as a practice, I think, is important because because what I find in myself is uh, even though I would call myself a, a practicing uh, Stoic, the interesting thing is there will be periods where life gets good, and then uh, where you slip back into the old ways, and then you just start taking everything. Uh, for granted. Uh, and, you know, w when that happens, now this is going to sound a slightly supernatural, but uh, but don't, don't get me okay. wrong here. No. What will happen is uh, something out of the blue will just set you back. Uh, and you know what? The more, the better your life has been going, um, the more easy it is for you to be set back because you start expecting that everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be good, that that uh, uh, good stuff's just going to keep happening. Um, so I like to think that the Stoic gods now, 
pause here. No, I do not believe there are actually stoic gods, but as a manner of, of speech here, um, as kind of a mind game, you know, that uh, what, what happens is the stoic gods look down and say, ah, boy, that guy's getting pretty full of himself. Uh, let's give him a reminder. And then out of the blue, they'll present you with a challenge, right? Some challenging thing, something that you just took for granted would never go wrong. Suddenly, there it is in your life going wrong. So I've had that happen to me where I, uh, I, I, I forget myself, you know, and I just sort of think, yeah, this is my life. And isn't, isn't this it, it just good things are just supposed to be happening when out of the blue – Something really strange happens, and then that's a great reminder. And then you realize, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've uh, gotten cocky, and <laughs> now uh, now I'm paying I'm paying the price. And you know, I started um, collecting <laughs> these sorts of stories. Uh, one uh, was. Um, I was uh, traveling uh, with my wife to uh, to Paris, uh, France, and uh, it was going to be a, a little quick trip to Paris, which uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, just counts as a very strange thing to be doing. Um, but you know, hey, I was I was living the good life. I'm enjoying myself. And uh, then when we got to Paris, I realized that I could not find my passport. That it was. <laughs> Lost, and so as a result, that you know that triggered this whole chain of of uh, of curious uh, events of me just trying to um, establish my identity and, and get life back. Uh, but but I think you know again these imaginary stoic gods. That's a beautiful example of them saying, "Hey, hey, wake up." You know, uh, you've started taking life for granted. Don't do that. And uh, so the interesting thing is, you come away. After an, an incident like that, kind of thankful for the reminder. It's precisely what you needed. You know, whereas most people, it would simply be a, a downer, uh, just a, a, a bad thing to happen. Uh, if you're a stoic, um, even these downers have a have a bright side in the sense that they um, they give you a chance to get back on an even keel and to, and to fully appreciate your existence. And that's one thing that I was in, I instantly loved about you, Bill, is that you are one of the most positive people, your outlook on life, your attitude, and this is something that I really enjoyed getting to know you over those few days in Galapagos. Have you always been like that, or it's since you started practicing Stoic, or is, is that just how you've been genetically wired and it, you've been like that your whole life, or have you had to work, work on yourself to become like the way you are now? I think it's it's uh, both factors. I think I am uh, genetically wired uh, to see the brighter sides of things, and because certainly I, I know people who whose uh, whose talent is to th- think about the negative side. Yeah, I know those just, people too. <laughs> and, and it's really and so so you know this would be a field for psychological uh, research. I'm I'm a philosopher, not a psychologist, but a field for psychological research of just trying to figure out uh, that difference. I suspect it is a, simply a, a luck of the genes. It's a question of how you were wired. It's a question of how you were uh, raised. But um, but by practicing stoicism, I've been able to enhance my own uh, ability to look on the bright side of things, uh, to, to laugh at... Uh, 
at uh, unfortunate incidents rather than you know complaining. And and for me, it's one of the great mysteries because uh, you know I want to say, hey, everybody should. Uh, well, certainly everybody should give stoicism a try because there's a few of these little techniques you can try. And you know what? If they don't work, eh, you've lost uh, a little bit of effort. Nobody needs to know about it. You can do it in the, on the sly, you know. <laughs> uh, you try, uh, give stoicism a try. But I guess I'm also incre- increasingly convinced that there are people uh, for whom it's going to be uh, really easy to slide right into stoicism because they're already halfway there. And then there are other people, uh, you know, the people who have this negative, who always see life in terms of, uh, you know, stoic says, you know, there are worse things that can happen, and then lets the thought go. Um, the negative person will will dwell on the negative things that can happen. Um, and, and it's not clear. Such a person will have a hard time. Uh, uh, with stoicism, I think, but but that's just speculation on my part. Yeah, I and and since meeting you, there's a, a, a podcast called the uh, the Daily Stoic, and it's uh, it's about a three or four minute little verse or something to focus on for the day. And I I've, I listen to that probably two or three times a week now, and just from you, and um, some of the things are great, and it's like you're saying. Some will work for some people, some won't. But I suppose the big thing is there that you give it a try, you try something different. And if you are a negative person, unless you change what you're doing, you're not going to be able to be as positive as what you are, Bill, or nothing's going to change unless you make the change. Is that sort of what you're trying to say? Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, what? one of the things is one of your principal uh, goals in life uh, should be to become a better you, whatever you are. Try to become a better you. And the first stage in accomplishing that goal is self-analysis. So, um, so look for your mistakes. Look for your flaws. Admit your failures. You know, you, you go through this list of things that people typically uh, don't want to do. Uh, analyze yourself. Watch yourself. Watch yourself uh, having a conversation. Watch the things that come into your mind as you're having the conversation. Uh, most people don't do that because uh, most people think they're pretty close to perfect, mm-hmm. or, or at least you know they they seem to to, to have that uh, that idea that they've arrived, they're what they're going to be, and that's the end of the conversation. So I'm kind of late in my own game here, uh, but I'm still uh, I'm still analyzing, still looking for my mistakes, uh, and I've reached a stage uh, where. Uh, I look for my mistakes, and when I find them, I embrace them. Um, a lot of people deny having made a mistake. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with having made a mistake, because you know what? If you never make mistakes, it probably means you aren't trying very hard. <laughs> you're not. You're, you're doing the safe things where where mistakes simply um, aren't going to be are going to be very difficult to do. Embrace a mistake means, number one, admit that you've made a mistake. And you know what? You can admit it to yourself. You can admit it. If the mistake affected another person, you can admit it to another person. Um, Sometimes people are flabbergasted to hear somebody come up and admit making a mistake because it's such a rare thing. You know, people... Uh, want to create this image of themselves as as being pretty much perfect, uh, you know, and so they they don't admit it. Uh, but uh, it's important that you admit your mistakes because once you acknowledge that you've made a mistake, you can learn from it, and you can go on to make new, better mistakes. Right? <laughs> that, 
than the mistakes you'd made. Uh, the other, the other thing is, if you look at people in life who are spectacularly successful, the incredible thing is, if they tell you the story of their early efforts, these are people who made numerous mistakes. And then the interesting thing was. Uh, they acknowledged their mistakes, they learned from their mistakes, and they moved forward. They, they didn't simply make mistakes and uh, hide from the mistakes. Uh, they, uh, they learned and went forward. So, for instance, uh, you know, um, Dyson, the guy who came up with the, the new improved vacuum cleaner, yep. I heard him in a talk, and he, uh, uh, the final design, the one that everybody knows him for, uh, I think it was it was uh, attempt number five thousand six hundred, oh, <laughs> or something really? like that. Wow! So, so you know, just just this in a long period of trying stuff, failure, trying stuff, failure, trying stuff, failure until until finally success. I th- and I think that's one of the things that separates successful people from people who who just kind of never uh, never break out in any sense. The successful people have a tolerance for failure that most people uh, don't have. And isn't that a paradox, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's, the, what's the key to success? Well, it's failure. Yeah. It's a tolerance for failure. And, um, but the world, it turns out, is full of, of that kind of psychological paradox. Yeah, well, I, I, I call them lessons because the only way you're going to know what works or what other people want or what's going to work for yourself to get better is by failing. And then, okay, I'm going to get better the next time and you go again. So if you're actually scared of that, then you're going to be sitting on the fence and you're just going to idle through life, I feel. So I look at failure, and I know you do as well. It's a lesson, and it's a lesson I need to get better at. So people listening, and I'm, I'm, I'm really interested here, what, what have you sort of learnt – uh, more about yourself, Bill, from uh, your, your stoicism, from all the philosophy you've done, from your lectures, from your books. Um, what's probably the one thing that you've learnt more about yourself or um, that has really just un- undiscovered something about you? Um, uh, let me answer that question, but first, uh, I agree with you about uh, failure being a lesson, but I'll, I'll add on the qualifier but it's a, a lesson only if you will acknowledge its existence as a failure. Right point. And for a lot of for a lot of people, that's the key obstacle. You know, if you can yep. get them to admit that, then they can learn from it. But a lot of people, it, it really is amazing. I mean, you can be dealing with somebody and they've they've clearly screwed up in some way, and and the world has been affected by the way they've screwed up, and yet they will deny <laughs> yep. that they've they've screwed up. And I know I've done that myself when I've been um, the one who um, who screwed up. So uh, that's the hardest thing is just the admission of having uh, made a mistake. Uh, once you do that, then then you're ready to roll, and, you, and then you can say, "Oh well, it's a lesson, and what can I I learn from it?" Uh, as far as uh, you talk about observing uh, myself, um, well, uh, let me start out by by saying that uh, <clears throat> I am a lucky lucky man because I. Uh, as a, a college student, this would be way back in the 1970s, I was uh, taken by philosophy. Uh, I took a course and really liked it and decided I wanted to become a philosopher. And then by the time I was going to graduate school in the late uh, 70s, it turned out that uh, that the, the, the philosophy market had, had collapsed, that <clears> – <throat> 
it had become incredibly difficult to find uh, a job teaching philosophy. But I pressed on and um, and uh, you know did some some temporary stuff and so on, and stumbled into a job that's uh, called tenure track, and that means that you know if you stick around long enough and um, publish and and teach well and so on, then they give you tenure, which uh, basically means you can't be uh, you can't be fired. Uh, um, you've got close to a job for life. There are ways you can lose tenure, but you got to work at it. But you've got basically a job for life. So once that happened, um, you know, I'm a lucky man because what does it mean? It means that I get to. I, I have incredible control over my days, uh, so I get to get up uh, very early in the morning and <laughs> set about set about work on a book I'm, I, I want to write, and that my employer uh, will uh, expects me to write. So it's this wonderful confluence. Um, the other thing is uh, I'm living in the United States, which is, in terms of uh, free speech, is one of the freest places. On uh, on the planet, I've got tenure, meaning I've got um, uh, the ability to say uh, just about anything uh, you can imagine a human being saying without risk of losing my job. And um, so, you know, if you look at the history of the world, I'm probably in the top one tenth of one percent in my ability to say things that I think people need to hear, right? That's what free speech is about. Free speech uh, isn't about telling people things they, uh, they want to hear. It's about trying to change the world by saying to people, look, there's a different way. Uh, we should be doing something. Um, and so then the interesting question is, so what have I done with that free speech? And so one of the uh, things that I, I worry about is that I haven't been brave enough, bold enough in using uh, that particular ability. And certainly, and that seems to be an occupational uh, trait, because I know lots of people who have tenure and yet who are um, are a little bit uh, worried, you know, they, they still are self-censoring uh, uh, left and right. Um, so that's one thing about me that I've... Uh, I've become aware of, um, and I am I'm, uh, working on. But you know, I'm I'm a work in progress, and it's late in the game. So we're we're in late innings, uh, you know, of the game here. But there's there's still uh, there's still uh, room for improvement. Um, so uh, my wife and I uh, will have conversations in which I will describe to her the stupid things I've done lately. Uh, and, and she will nod her head affirmatively. Yep. 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 And then, and then, you know, just the question is, so, so, uh, okay, so that's history now. Uh, so the future, so what, what can I do differently? What can I do, um, to try to avoid making that particular mistake again and go on to some uh, new things. In my um, relationships with other people, you know, I guess I'm still feeling like as far as friendship goes, I'm not uh, as good a friend as a friend should be. I'm working on on that aspect. I'm working on the aspect, uh, and this uh, is true of, uh, I think, most people most of the time and was certainly true of me 
until I, I kind of got into Stoicism. And that's when you're having a conversation with other people. And during the conversation, uh, what you're doing when they're talking is you're simply uh, uh, counting the seconds until they quit talking so you can tell them what you think. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to turn over a leaf there, and my new conversational mode is um, is to listen very carefully to what other people are telling me, and when they stop thinking, instead of telling them what I think, ask them a question about what they think, and ask them why they think it. Uh, because number one, maybe there's a lesson I can learn from them. And number two, you know what? Other people have interesting lives, and... Um, and you just have to kind of draw, draw it out. So conversation shouldn't be like a competitive sport, right? Where <laughs> like tennis. people are trying to top each other or <laughs> or uh, or you know put each other uh, down or whatever. But but it, but it, it's an opportunity for personal growth. So I'm I'm working on that aspect. And again, with all of these, I have good days and I have bad days. I backslide, um, but it's an ongoing project. I, I love that and, and listening is such uh, a skill that I need to work on as well and I've been very open about that and I, I love the idea of challenging yourself to get a meaningful question out of any conversation that's going on Bill because then you really are listening and you are present and I think that's a really powerful thing and I suppose that leads into uh, one of the last questions I always like to ask my guests this and it might you might have just answered this and um, if that's the case that's fine but if you could go back to 18 year old Bill and you had one bit of advice that you've learnt from everything you've done from your lessons your research, your teaching, your traveling, from your kids, from your relationships, from everything, what would that one bit of advice that you would do to give 18-year-old Bill? I would tell him what a, what a lucky, lucky human being he is to be 18, uh, 18 years old with all of the choices, all of the freedoms, all of the abilities. Uh, you know, I, I, I think back to all the things I could do when I was 18 and, and just took them took them all for granted and now with each passing year father time is snatching <laughs> another one of those abilities um, uh, away from me so uh, you know 18 being 18 comes with challenges too I've been thinking about um, that as well and you know there's this, this whole realm of uncertainty you don't know where things are are uh, are headed but you you've got to embrace the uncertainty bravely do the right thing, be a, be a, a kind person, and uh, just press ahead in life. And uh, with any luck, um, you'll have a very good life. I, I love that, Bill. And, and to be honest, mate, when we first met, if I'd have known that you were 66, I would have fallen off my chair because the passion, the energy, and the life you live um, is not of a 66-year-old that I've seen lately. So um, I would just like to really thank you for giving up your time today, mate. And in the show notes, guys, I'm going to have links to build six books. Um, and I've just got your guide to a good life, um, the audible version, so I can listen to it while I'm driving. So I can't wait to hear that. And I can guarantee people that have listened along today would have been like, I'm going to go and grab that as well because, Bill, you're an extremely positive person, full of wealth and knowledge. And not only that, very generous with your time. So Thank you very much for that today, buddy. Oh, it's a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, mate. Cheers.